0: be one that is fitting and timely and something that will bless all of us. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your power. It's through the power of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at each at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came and came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. As the chapter opens, we've reached a new low. And it's a difficult time for the church. James is dead. Peter is in prison. And Herod is king. I want you to get the picture of who Herod is. This is Herod Agrippa I. This is the grandson of Herod the Great, who many hear about and who lots of archaeological finds focus on. Um, this Herod's uncle was the one who put John the Baptist to death. And so he's continuing a family tradition here in the way that he treats the church, and the way that he treats the followers of Jesus. I want you to get the picture. His power, he does have power. But his power is not so much um, political in a way that he's been uh, voted into this role. It's more of, more of a monarchy type situation. Think of, think of England where you have the monarchy, which is very popular and does have some political clout, but it doesn't have a place as much in the whole government system. So that's kind of the way Herod and his family are, except that he rules more like an African warlord where he uses violence to carry out the things that he wants to do, and as long as it doesn't mess with the Roman government too much, then they're okay with that. And so here, if you can imagine, his family has constantly had clashes with these followers of Jesus. There's always been a threat to his family from the king of the Jews. Here's one king of the Jews who's heard about another king of the Jews, and his family has always been in this battle. And so now... He decides to test things out and he brings in James and he has him killed, one of the 12, the first time and the only time in scripture that we read of one of the 12 uh, being killed. And so he has James killed and the people love it so he says, all right, then let's go get Peter. And now here Peter is in prison on death row during the Passover. Have we seen this somewhere before? Isn't it a little bit ironic that Peter is the one in this situation who just a few years earlier, and we don't have an exact time, but a few years earlier had been the one at the Passover denying his relationship with the man who was on death row. But even with all of this, the church is gathered and is praying fervently, intently, passionately for Peter. So we look in the middle of this passage in verses 6 through 11, and we see what to me is just an incredible, an incredible scene. And if you like spy movies, then you've got to love this scene, right? Because it's night. Peter's in prison. He's asleep. He has the ability to sleep the night before he's going to be called out. And killed, and there he is sleeping between the two guards with two chains on his wrists. And it's dark and, and he's still peaceful. And we know from verse 4 that any thought of escape is impossible because of the number of guards and the way it's set up. So Peter's not going to escape. But then this angel appears and wakes Peter up. He has to actually wake Peter up. The chains come off, they go through the guards, they pass through the gates and it's not until after he's out of the prison, out of the gates, a street's length away, away from everything by himself that the angel leaves and Peter wakes up. In the moment he thinks it's a dream, it's one of those times like you and I have all had where you're dreaming and you're like, oh, this is great, you know, but you kind of still know it's just a dream, right? Right? but you don't want to wake up from it because it's so good. I think that's where Peter is. He's like, oh, wow, this is the outside world. This is great. I'm I'm free, but I know it's just a dream, so I'll just stay asleep. But when he wakes up, he realizes, no, it's not just a dream. This really happened. And what's his first response to this? His first response is to honor God, to praise him, to say, this could not have happened if it weren't for God. And he celebrates this. And the second thing he does is he goes directly to the house where he knows that fellow believers are gathered. So he comes to Mary's house. And it's obvious that Mary is fairly wealthy because anyone that has a house with an outer gate, um, just like in our time today, if you have a house with an outer gate, you're going to have some money. And so there's an outer gate here. And uh, Mary is the host of probably one of these house churches in Jerusalem. She's the mother of of John Mark, who will be mentioned later in scripture. and This is our introduction to him. But they're gathered and and they're praying and Peter comes to the gate and he knocks. And okay, I love this scene right here. This is probably my favorite moment in, in this story. Because if you don't believe that the writers of Scripture have an imagination and are creative and are very good at what they do, then you haven't read this part. Because here, Luke is using humor. Imagine the scene. As Peter comes up, the the people are inside praying for him fervently. They've probably been praying night and day, passionately, crying, hoping, waiting, waiting. And Peter comes in the middle of the night, and he's banging at the gate. Let me in, let me in. And Rhoda, the servant girl, comes out, and she opens it, and she sees it's Peter. Ah! And she slams the door in his face, and she runs back inside. And Peter's still waiting outside trying to get in. Hey, it's me, Peter, let me in. The gates, the gates of the prison couldn't keep him in prison. But the gate right here in front of Mary's house keeps him out of the church, I wonder sometimes if maybe there's something in that for us that maybe God has removed some gates in people's lives that the church in past and present puts back up. I don't know. But either way, Peter's waiting at the door and Rhoda sees him and shuts the door in his face and goes back in to tell everyone, "It's Peter, it's Peter. Peter's at the door, Peter's at the gate." And of course, their response is, it "Can't be him." It must be his angel. So obviously they're thinking Peter is dead. And this is some sighting of him um, or some imagination of him. I want to stop here for just a second. I want to focus on what's happening. One of the most important things we can do as Christians is to spend time in prayer. And here we have a body of believers gathered to pray for a specific purpose with passion and intensity. And when God answers the prayer, they don't believe it. I wonder how many times we've prayed for something and then when God answers it, we say, wow, that's just a coincidence. Or maybe we give God credit in the moment, but later on we forget what God has done back there in answering our prayer requests. See, I think there's a misunderstanding that a lot of us have about prayer. First, there are those who see prayer as, as a personal tool to get what they want, hoping that God will do as I wish, as a genie or as a Santa Claus in the sky, will give me my presence. and then when it doesn't happen, we get upset because God didn't do it our way. And that's a gross misunderstanding of what prayer is and and the gift that God gave us in being able to communicate with him through prayer. All of us have heard stories of people who've lost their faith because they prayed for something and God just didn't come through, so he must not be real because he didn't do it my way. At the same time, I don't think that's necessarily the case with these people here. And most of the people I know, I'm not sure that's the case with. It's more those who understand the power of prayer and understand what prayer can do in people's lives, but then have a hard time expecting God to act when we do pray. So we're tempted to pray prayers that are less bold, that are more comfortable, that are prayers that if I pray this, I think God will probably answer this, so this will make me feel better about my faith. I'm not sure we're called to pray that way either. I get that. I get that. There have been times in my life, I can think of two specific times, um, one with my mom and one with a really good friend where I felt like I prayed harder and more intensely than any other time in my life And the final answer was not what I wanted it to be. And I struggled with that. I struggled with this idea that if I had only prayed more, if I had only prayed harder, if I had started praying earlier, maybe God would have listened. Maybe God would have answered the prayer in the way that I wanted Him to. But yet, that's not how God works. Just as in the situation with Peter, Peter couldn't see what was going on until after it had all happened. And it was at that point that he recognized what God was doing and he was able to praise God for it. We can see that fervent prayer is central to the life of the church and the expansion of the kingdom. And I wonder though, instead of picturing prayer as a way to get what we want from God, or instead of picturing prayer as a way to temper our relationship with God, to temper our faith and our belief, what if we were to pray bold prayers, trusting that God was gonna do what he needs to do and wants to do, and that we'll be a part of it whether the answer and the result is the way we would like it or not. And I wonder, because it's such an important part of the early church, I wonder sometimes how would we feel if we came to worship on a Sunday morning and we stood up here and maybe sang a song or two, I don't know, but then we said we're going to spend the next hour just praying together. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people would think that was a waste of time. And I've done that too, where I've heard, oh, we're going to have a prayer time tonight. I don't have to go do that. I'll pray from home. Done that with mission trips where we've had a prayer gathering, and I say, oh, that's, not imp- that's important to pray, but I don't have to be up there. I'll, just, I'll pray about that from home. There's something powerful about believers being gathered together and praying in unity for whatever it is that needs to be prayed for. And that's what these believers were doing. And I think we can take some comfort that even at that time, they didn't fully expect God to do what he did. But God showed up anyway. Even in their weakness, even in their um, just unbelief. God showed up anyway. And I'm thankful that He doesn't answer prayers based on my level of belief, based on my level of of expectation. What if in our small groups we gathered and just spent time praying together for one another, for the church, for the kingdom, for people around the world, for God's will to be done? Would that make a difference in our lives through that community? I don't know, but obviously prayer is extremely important. We might need to reconsider our view of prayer, the amount of time that we spend on that, individually, as a church, and how we pray. Then we see at the very end here, after Peter Peter comes in and and has to calm everyone down because they're so astonished, they're so amazed that God came through in this moment. He says, go tell James and the others. And what we see here is a transition of leadership because Peter is going to go someplace else. We don't know where. There's lots of speculation as to where he goes. But he goes someplace else, and he reappears in Acts chapter 15 for a moment, and then he's gone. And at this time, James is going to become the leader in the church as it continues to grow and as it continues to spread And then, of course, there's the scene at the very end where Herod wakes up and can't believe what has happened and questions the guards and has them killed. And then if you read the rest of the story, you know that Herod leaves town and an angel strikes him and he dies. And it says at the very end of the chapter, that the word of God becomes even more and more powerful and continues to move. Do you see what Luke has done here? Do you see the way he reversed everything that we had in the beginning of Herod being the king, of Peter being in prison, and James being dead? At the very end, Herod is dead, Peter is free, and the word of God is powerful and moving. Even in the darkest circumstances, God is still working, and he's reversing the things of this world to be more like the world that he created. So today, what does this mean for us on Super Bowl Sunday in 2013? Well, God is still God. Jesus is still king and the church is still the church. God is still delivering people from our own prisons that all of us have experienced, that all of us have witnessed, prisons of addiction prisons of fear and worry, prisons of struggling marriages, prisons of hurt and loss, of guilt and shame. We need to see beyond the physical in this story and see what God is doing in our own lives, that he wants to free us from those prisons, but it is only through the power of God that that happens. And as that happens, we celebrate and we worship together. As we said earlier, sometimes we can't see it in the moment like Peter. But when we do, it is unmistakably God and his power at work. That's why we worship. That's why we celebrate. The second thing we need to do is we need to live knowing and sharing Jesus as king. Herod was not the king of the Jews, although he appeared to be. Jesus was still the king. In our lives, we have many kings in our world political kings, kings that we look up to and worship and honor, which is one of the struggles I have with sports today. But Jesus is the king, and he is the only one that is worthy of our worship. When we were at Mission Waco just a few years ago through the poverty simulation that we did, um, one, of the, one of the leaders there told the story about being over in Thailand, and I took a cab from the airport to their hotel where they were staying and, and they were talking with, with this cab driver and very nice man and um, talking, talking about, he, t- he started talking about their country and they said, well, what about, what about the leadership here? They said, he said, oh, we love our king. The king comes out and meets with the people and we love our king. He's my king. And as she heard that, she started thinking about that image of my king, my king, Jesus is my king. Do we live that way? Do we share that way? Do we believe that? He is my king. He is our king. And do we submit first and foremost to him? We're called to do that. And, of course, we're called to prayer, as we talked about a minute ago. Greenville Oaks, if you look on our website, if you look in any brochure that we have that lists our values, we say that one of our values is prayer. And my hope is that more and more we will live that value out together and separately. I hope that you'll go back and reread Acts chapter 12 because God is doing a lot of powerful things here. As we submit to Jesus as our king, as we trust that he is the one that can free us from our prisons, and as we fervently pray to him, I believe that his kingdom will continue to come more and more in us and more and more in the world around us. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Brian.
1: As Greg was um, going through that story, I couldn't help but be reminded of another incident where God shows up. Mark 9, Jesus is coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration. And he comes up to the disciples, and, and they're in a discussion or an argument with the teachers of the law. And he says, what are you talking about? And a man speaks up and says, my son, who's possessed by a demon, I brought him here today to have that cast out. And they couldn't do it. And he says, this demon, he'll throw him into fire and he'll throw him into water to kill him. And if you can do it, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if I can do it, All things are possible to those who believe. You see, I think that group of believers in Mary's house suffered the same thing that was going on with that father. They believed. They needed help with their unbelief. And I'm afraid we suffer from the same thing. Oh, in here we know it. Where we struggle is in here. Like Greg said, believing he's going to show up. And this morning, if you've come and there's things that you're struggling with that you've been praying about, what you need to understand is for some of you, he's already shown up. And we're shocked at it. because see, what you need to understand, for those who are in Christ Jesus, where you're at today is not the end of the story. And at this time, we offer a time for you to come. The end of that story where he's, as he leaves and he goes indoors with the disciples, they say, why couldn't we cast him out? Jesus says, there's some things that require prayer. If you're here this morning and there's things in life that you need to pray about, let's do that. You can come forward now as we sing and bring those requests, and there'll be shepherds up here to receive you. If you want a more private time, John Maber and his wife Carol will be at the back, and they would love to go and spend some time in prayer. If you've never surrendered your life to Him and said, "I want You as my Savior," you can do that today. We can baptize you. You leave here as His child. Whatever you need, once you come, let's stand and sing.
2: The Lord who is on our side, had it not been the Lord who is on our side, the anger of the enemy would have swallowed us alive, had it not been the Lord who is on our side, Blessed be the Lord who would not give us up. Blessed be the Lord for his unfailing love. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, had it not been the Lord who was on our side. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side. The water would have engulfed us, we would have surely died. Had it not been the Lord who is on our side, blessed be the Lord who would not give us up. Blessed be the Lord for his unfailing love. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed be, blessed be the Lord who would not give us up. Blessed be the Lord. Unfailing love, the snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of, our help is in the name of, the our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the.
1: One prayer request this morning, Andy Duncan came to his dad to be having a pacemaker put in tomorrow. So we want to continue to lift him up, not only today and tomorrow, but as he recovers throughout the week. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we know you're with us that you know before we even ask what we need and yet sometimes just like the father of that boy in Mark 9 we need help with our unbelief and we pray father that you'd give us a stronger faith give us eyes to see you when you do show up and to know that a power that was evident 2,000 years ago is still among us today. And I pray that we see that power and we praise you. And as we do that The unbelief that Satan tries to sow in our minds and our hearts will be shattered. And that you'll be lifted up. And Father, we have a number that we pray and we pray and we pray about who are dealing with sickness, they're dealing with struggles of life, such as finances and jobs and marriages. Pray that you help us to see you in the midst of that. And Father this morning we lift up Mickey Duncan, Andy's dad. We pray that you'd be with him tomorrow, as that pacemaker's put in. We pray that you would uh, bring about healing through the procedures that go on. That you watch over him. And once again, Father, we pray that we see you show up in the midst of life. Father's others that just this past week have found things out that they're wondering, how can this be? Scott Rahi's dad,'s been diagnosed with cancer. Pray that you'd be with them. Others that have gone through surgery this week, Father, and we've seen you there. And others who have felt the pain of losing those close to them in the last few weeks. And sometimes have to wonder, how can this happen? somehow, Father, let them see you there. Father, we pray that you continue to be with our church. Help us to have a clear understanding of what you're calling us to, something so great that the only way it happens is through you, and embrace that vision. And I pray for our elders and our leaders. That you would uh, give us the strength to boldly lead and move this body where you want us to go, Father. That the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you, Father, for your son. For the sacrifice that he made, the hope that we have through him. And we ask for his return, Father. We pray that you send him back soon. And until he comes back, may we never lose hope in him. And it's through him we pray. Amen. As you leave today, what I hope you remember is that the power that we saw this morning in the first century is among us today. And I pray that you have eyes to see that unstoppable power. You see where God's working. It may any unbelief that you have be overcome. You're dismissed.